Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, so welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. It is April 2nd that I'm recording this, but I expect this to come out at some point later on. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Bill Real. Brittany Hartley is not here today for this episode. This is just me recording some thoughts about some things that have happened recently that I think are a big deal in terms of uh, human behavior. And so I called this episode Shame and Pain. And uh, we ought to start off by just talking about shame and guilt. Th those two things are felt, uh, those are felt the same way inside of us. Uh, shame and guilt is this deeply uncomfortable feeling inside that we have done something wrong or that we are somehow wrong. And so shame is that we are bad. Um, I'm not allowed to be the way I am. Uh, guilt is that the thing I did is bad. And so it's okay to feel guilt for having done something that caused unnecessary pain or intentional harm to another person. Um, and But shame is that this idea that whatever we are, because we come to every moment honestly, we show up the best we know how. And so this idea that we feel shame because someone else goes like, hey, you're bad for doing that. Um, there, there's so many facets of the conversation that would come into play because there are very unhealthy behaviors that are biological or epigenetic to us. Um, for instance, pedophiles, as horrible as that behavior is, geneticists will tell you that there are uh, there is deep evidence that somebody exhibiting uh, pedophile behavior, that that is uh, genetic within them or epigenetic within them, that there is a predisposition to do the thing they're doing. Think about a serial killer. Serial killers, uh, if I ask you as the, as the listeners in this episode, uh, as you listen, ask yourself, like, have you ever thought about taking another person's life? And most of us would say, no, I've never even considered killing somebody. And yet a serial killer can't help but think about almost daily killing somebody. Um, it, it's a very different track in life. Now, again, serial killers are impacted by certain uh, life experiences or in early childhood and early development. But there also is research that says that there is some degree of epigenetics involved as well. In other words, certain people come to be in this world with an inclination to go that direction, and then certain life experiences happen and are the kind of final ingredients that create somebody who becomes a serial killer. Um, but again, going back to like pedophilia, there's a genetic basis there for saying that somebody has a born with inclination or predisposition towards that deeply unhealthy behavior in the same way that I've never thought about doing something like that. There are other people who can't help, but think about doing something like that. 
And so that affects a little bit how we frame shame or guilt because every person is legitimately coming to the moment they're in. And whether you believe in limited free will or free will, maybe you believe in complete free will, but there are very solid arguments out there that uh, suggest that free will is at least extremely limited. And there also is strong arguments that it is maybe that there is no free will. And so when we talk about people and what they do and don't do and how that hurts others of us, there's an important conversation to be had about the place in society of shame or guilt. I don't want to really want to get into that today. And I'm actually not talking about the things that we've just mentioned. I want to go a different direction, but I want to at least open up your mind to a conversation that would have you wrestle with humanity, maybe with uh, more understanding and compassion while at the same time recognizing that we have to support systems that distance the people who can't help but do harm from the vulnerable and the people who could be harmed. Um, and systems should always be set up in a way as to distance people who do harm from those who could be harmed. Um, but let's move on. The idea of shame and guilt is evolutionarily uh, built into us. And for the rest of the episode, I'll probably just use the word shame because I, I want to, us to wrestle with how we feel inside ourselves when something goes wrong and we are, um, we're second-guessing ourselves, and we're the ones really feeling bad about what had just happened. And so shame and guilt is evolutionarily built into us. Even dogs feel it. I think we've all either seen videos or had pets where we did this. And specifically, I've seen it so many times with dogs where they've done something wrong. They chewed up something they shouldn't have. They had an accident on the carpet, whatever it is. And the moment I go to my dog and he doesn't understand my words, but he does know the change in my voice and he has enough experience to know what has happened in the past. And so dogs will often exhibit body language that looks like they're feeling shame. Uh, one dog chews up a toy, the homeowner gets home, and he says, which one of you two did this? And suddenly the guilty dog, and by the way, they'll catch the guilty dog on the camera. There's been studies shown that it is actually the guilty dog that, that behaves this way. But the guilty dog will put his nose into another corner and not look his owner in the eye. Or he'll go walk away, or he'll kind of punish himself somewhere. Um, there are plenty of videos online of this kind of thing happening where you can see the guilty animal has the look of guilt. And uh, so it's not just necessarily a human thing, but we humans certainly have uh, this system built into us. And it's there for good reason. Every tribe or community, every system has boundaries. You know, I was in a very high demand fundamentalist religion that religion uh, imposed on me that I com compromise very important parts of myself. It has boundaries that even when I'm being a healthy human being, it tells me, you know, it slaps me on the hand and it says, no, you can't do that. And so every system having boundaries, we all know the unhealthy ones and how they do it. But even if you leave that, even as I left that system and I built really healthy friendships with people who made a significant space, for me to show up as my authentic self, those groups of friends, those systems um, still had boundaries and there were still things I could or couldn't do. 
there were things it clearly said, you can't do this and still hang out with us. And you must do this if you want to hang out with us. And so even in the best of tribes, even in the best of systems, you're not ever going to be able to be your full, complete, authentic self. You will have to compromise parts of yourself or you'll simply live alone and pissing everybody off. And people will, people will note, like, this is that guy's thing that annoys me. This is that gal's thing that, that annoys me. And people will keep distance from the things that make their life uncomfortable. So even in friendships, if you're constantly a drag or you're constantly offensive or you're constantly abusive, you're just not going to have friends, even if that's your legitimate self trying to show up. And so all of us are playing this game inside, right? I've got my other hand kind of moving too. You can't really see. Uh, I'm kind of a hands guy, you know, I, I kind of move my hands to reflect the kind of things I'm talking about. So you'll find that um, no matter what's going on inside of us, we can't show up exactly the way we want to. We're always compromising little parts of ourselves. And uh, anytime a system or a group of people perceive that their individual or systemic integrity is at stake, and I don't mean integrity like that guy's got integrity. I mean the stability of the system, the, the stability of the relationship, the stability of this group of people being able to perpetuate uh, their, their values and their beliefs. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so anytime the, uh, a group or a system's integrity is at stake, the, the system and the people in it are going to have mechanisms that intend to redirect us or to impose on us that we change our behavior. And uh, you can see this in a, in a high demand religion when you, uh, raise questions that are legitimate that would point everybody to having to wrestle with whether the system really is real and adds up, there's going to be mechanisms that that silence you or put you outside of the tribe so that you no longer can have any influence on those people. But it happens everywhere, right? Like if I make a joke at a party and somebody is um, hurt by my joke then everyone in the group realizes that, hey, Bill went too far. And if Bill goes too far all too often, then I'm just going to find myself at a whole lot less parties, right? And so we understand that that mechanism works and it's inside of our human processes of, of working with each other and having our individual needs met. And so often systems and groups are nudging us uh, to change our behavior because everybody's living in a dream. If you've read the four agreements with Miguel Ruiz, he starts off by talking about every one of us is living our own dream inside of our head. We're not, we're not really privy to anyone else's dream. And so we're, we're kind of all actors uh, and we're the star of our own movie, but we play a, a, a secondary role in everyone else's movie to one extent or another. And so people are, enjoying the present moment that's in front of them, or they are not enjoying the present moment that's in front of them. And when people are enjoying the present moment in front of them with folks around them, and those folks consistently provide a good experience, those are the folks that you're going to constantly be reaching back out to and say, hey, I want to hang out with you more often. And when you hang out with people who bump into you, 
more than you'd like, more than what feels healthy and acceptable to you, then you're going to find ways to not be in shared spaces with the people that you don't get along with, or they don't entertain you enough, or they're, they're not interesting enough, or they constantly say things that are abrasive, or they don't make it safe for you to be the person in that space you want to be. So for example, if somebody talks too much, or if somebody is too loud, and hence you're, it's interrupting your experience or doesn't allow you to show up in the experience the way you'd like to. And so when you understand all these human mechanisms that are at place in all of these shared social spaces, you can begin to sense the, the narratives you've assigned to them in your Western American, you know, whatever it is, white, uh, uh, person of color, privileged, unprivileged, marginalized, um, uh, vulnerable, like whatever, whatever the million things are that come into play that would make up who we and who the other people are in the space that we share, we are constantly trying to have the world um, show up in front of us the way we like, and we're trying to push away when the world is or is about to show up in ways we don't like. And so we're constantly suggesting to each other to one degree or another, like, hey, if you could change who you are so that I could have a better experience and please, please allow me to show up as I am, even if that means you don't have as great of an experience. And so that's the thing that human beings are constantly doing. It's, it's this dance that we do. Um, when we make others uncomfortable with behaviors that fall outside of the accepted boundaries, that discomfort is often real harm and trauma or perceived harm and trauma. Now it could just be some discomfort. I'm with some friends and one of my friends is great. That, that person, she's awesome all the time, but once in a great while, she does some little thing that just annoys me a little bit. And, you know, so people can annoy us. People can make us uncomfortable. They can give us discomfort and they are all the time. Generally speaking, throughout our, our days when things are happening, I, I really want to speak to and address the moments where we feel or the person we're interacting with feels real legitimate harm and trauma, or they perceive harm and trauma. And sometimes those instances are behaviors that weren't unhealthy. And we didn't cause any unnecessary or intentional harm, but the other person, their worldview is such that it feels like harm or trauma. And an example of this would be in my system, for instance, there is there are folks in the authority positions who have indicated that, you know, again, I'm I'm an LGBT ally. I just see being gay as being another reasonable expression of humanity that doesn't cause any unnecessary or intentional harm and is completely consensual. So I don't have a problem with someone being gay, LGBT, transgender, lesbian, any of those. And yet my system does, the system I came from, I'm not in that system anymore, but the system I came from deeply looks down upon anybody who's LGBT. 
And so there are there are things said within my system's history where leaders have said like, hey, if you're my child and you're gay, you are deeply hurting me by asking to share personal space with me and to have your significant other, your partner in those spaces as well. So you can't, for instance, come stay the night with me for a weekend and spend time with your parents because us parents, we're too uncomfortable. It feels it feels inappropriate for you to request that. It feels bad. Something's wrong. You're hurting me. And, and that kind of language, we just need to, again, understand as we move through this, that sometimes people perceive they're being harmed or abused or receiving trauma. When in reality, that's not real. If it is, it's self-inflicted and it's based on a really immature, childish childish view of what is right and wrong and uh, what, uh, what space I need to provide for every other human being to be the fullest expression of themselves so long as they don't cause intentional harm so long as um, they don't uh, cause us unnecessary harm, um, we all have a responsibility to sit in shared social spaces, allowing people to be versions of themselves that we wouldn't like them to be and we maybe wouldn't choose for ourselves. Um, and, and so that's a whole other conversation as well, but just to recognize that some people feel innocent uh, individuality as trauma and harm to them when someone else is expressing their individual personality or individuality. Um, and again, I'm, I'm using lots of words here and I, I'm going to ramble a little bit. That's just kind of the way my brain works, but I hope that you're following along. When the harm is unintentional, such as bumping into a person or it's intentional, but we suddenly recognize like, oh crap, I said a thing and I forgot that they have this life situation. And hence the thing I said, while it was innocent, when I said it, I can perceive the harm that I may have caused to them. Or maybe I see the harm I caused to them because their body language or their, their words back to me indicate such. Um, when that happens, we all have this mechanism of apologizing, of saying we're sorry. Now, the idea of saying sorry, it's it's more than a set of words. Saying sorry in, in our country, the words, I'm sorry, it's a mechanism and it's a language that's used by a modern-day American in order to create a space where both parties can process what happened and move away from that shame, guilt, and pain. Um, animals do this much different. So uh, fowl, for instance, I think there are some ducks and geese that do this. If one duck or goose in its effort to show up in the world the way it is, it ends up being abrasive to another duck or goose. So they kind of are swimming towards the same spot and they're both going to occupy the same space. And one of the uh, ducks or the geese will then start making lots of noise and uh, kind of an angry sort of energy towards the other. 
The other will then uh, kind of be startled, flap its wings and kind of move away. And once it gets some space away from the moment, it will express itself by making some quick movements, um, making a little bit of noise. And that behavior is its way of uh, working through and letting go of the negative energy that it just took on. Animals do this all the time, by the way. And so when you watch animals interact, I don't know so much that there is a full-fledged language narrative that's going on. It's really that, hey, I felt a disturbance in me. I believe you caused that. I don't have a way in which we don't have language. We're not going to be able to sit here and talk this out. So um, the animal will then just kind of go off and do its own little um, body language expression. Sometimes it'll go pick on another animal. Uh, but it'll do something to kind of process and let go of that negative energy. We humans, we invented language. We have ways in which to say very complex things to each other. Uh, so here in Western, you know, United States, uh, I'm walking into the store and someone's walking out and they bump into me. You know, I'm jarred back and my body immediately feels trauma. It immediately feels pain of some sort, not necessarily like, oh my gosh, he broke my arm, but like, ah, I can't believe you did that. Ah. And, and that feeling that inside when the other person does it accidentally, the, the, the normal behavior we all have is, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bump into you. I wasn't looking, whatever it is, but the language and the mechanism are modern and in terms of the actual words used, they're specific to our uh, our society. If you go to another country, the words would be different. And in some ways, even the mechanisms might be a little different. Um, there may be a different acceptable way. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's known in some societies that you put an arm around somebody and you say something. And whatever that thing said is, it means I'm sorry, but it's not those words because that's not English. And, um, and in our country, we, we wouldn't. We try to, we distance ourselves from other people's personal spaces more. And so in our country, we, we maybe take a step back and keep some distance, but say, hey, I'm sorry. And so there are different ways to do it. But what, what I, my point is that recognize that the, the action of uh, one of us is in pain and the other of us feels shame that we have for thousands of years had processes that allowed us to meet in the middle with that. Hi, I have pain. Hi, I have shame. And to give each other the grace in order to process that moment and to be able to move away from it, not holding on to it. Um, and every society and every version of humanity going all the way back to something less than homo sapien, something less than human. We have had processes which allowed us to meet with the person who has the pain and the person who has the shame and to um, do something so that both people could uh, acknowledge, process, and then release it. And again, animals do this too. It's just that you're adding language in. Humans have this extra capability.
um, to explain themselves and to reach out to the other person with empathy and compassion through words. Um, somebody was just telling me the other day about a certain primates. I don't, I don't even know if this is true, but I'll simply say it. You guys can look it up. Um, because it just came into my mind here as I'm sharing this, uh, these ideas, there are some primate monkeys where when one of them is hurt by the other and the other knows they did something wrong, that monkey will go and steal a baby monkey from someone else and bring it to the person they hurt. They bring it to that person. That person takes the baby and then that monkey gives it back to the original parent, mother, father. And in doing so, it's the process by which these two go like, hey, we don't want to hurt anybody else, but I get that I hurt you. I'm I'm going to give you a chance to hurt someone else, but you're going to give that monkey back. So you're telling me that you don't want to hurt anybody else. They have a process by which they meet each other and go, hey, you're in pain. Hey, I feel bad about it. And let's deal with processing this and releasing it. Okay. I say that because... When we bump into another human being, those of us who are unhealthy, for whatever reason, some of us are deeply unhealthy. When someone bumps on into us and it's our fault, we're still like, man, F that guy, you know? And, and we all have run into people who move through their world behaving in ways that they just don't seem to care that they're hurting others. or they simply have from a young age developed mechanisms which are not going to sit in the shame that comes when we hurt somebody else unnecessarily or intentionally. And they're not going to deal with that. So they have come up with processes that simply avoid it. And so these are the people that you're like, man, that guy's a dick. You know, that chick, yeah, that chick's a dick. She's just, she's just being an ass. So we have this kind of uh, vernacular in our, in our society where we say somebody's an asshole, not that they did an asshole thing, but they're an asshole. And we say that when people don't want to confront the moments that they're causing other people pain, because either A, they have a, a brain issue. They're a sociopath, narcissistic, that kind of thing. Or they just have come up with mechanisms because of how bad the shame felt in their childhood, how bad shame was in their world. Um, they came up with mechanisms and processes that avoid feeling that. But most of us don't fall into that category. Most of us do, though, when we feel shame or guilt, we don't want to feel that. We do want to avoid it. So we have these kind of deflective ways of interacting with each other so as to not really be accountable to the pain and shame of a, of a social interaction and shared space. And so when we upset somebody, we justify why we, why we did what we did. We blame somebody else for why we did what we did. We constantly want someone else to be responsible or we want the person in pain to just release having us be accountable. And um, that's so unhealthy 
Because what you're doing is you're you're suggesting that the best thing in this moment is that we both actually just carry this a little longer. And in reality, I've seen this play out so many times, myself included, that one day, I again, I'm not perfect at it, but one day I just realized this, this isn't efficient. This doesn't work. And so um, I want to suggest today, and I want to tell another story that's somewhat tangentially connected. When we bump into each other, if you can now start to be aware, like, oh, one of us feels pain, the other of us feels shame. Why don't we give our, each other a way to process this and move on? And, you know, another person bumping into me is the easiest one. If I, let me just turn it around. If I'm the person who bumps into you, I am going to stop immediately. I am going to look at you and say, hey, my friend, I'm super sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't mean to bump into you. I'm really sorry for any hurt that I caused there in that moment, any discomfort I caused in that moment, that you didn't deserve that. And if if either one of us, you know, if the other person is moderately healthy, we're going to be able to process that and move on. Now, every time we bump into somebody, and I use that uh, uh, figuratively, anytime we cause a disturbance inside another human being, we need to be thinking about what is the degree of that disturbance? Because our meeting them in a space to process, acknowledge, process, and release that trauma needs to be um, comparable to the degree of harm and hurt that occurred in that space. Um, if you did some irreparable damage to another human being, that's going to take a whole lot more of you being willing to sit in that space with them and own it, help them process it, make it safe to process it and release it and be accountable to it to a much different degree than if I just bump into somebody lightly walking in and out of a door, a doorway. And so if you can be aware of the degree to which that's happening, it will help you to, rather than react, it'll help you respond and not only respond, but respond appropriately to meet, to meet it at the right degree. Um. Saying sorry is more than a set of words. It's the process. It's the way we've designed the process in this particular space. But that process exists all across humanity, across time and space, in order for us to accomplish this thing, if we're going to be a good human being, of making it safe to sit with each other in our in our bumping into each other in an experience and to be accountable to process and to release it so that that human being can continue on with their life not feeling this thing that just happened and it could be the difference of not only a good day or a bad day in some of these instances it can be the difference between life and death 
It can be the difference between being happy and being miserable. And so a lot is, a lot hinges on how we show up in these moments. And so I want to share another story just to make kind of the point in a different way and to show you also in the moments that are extremely mundane, how this, how this plays out. Um, a couple nights ago, we had uh, two friends, a husband and a wife, who wanted to create a get-together where others came over and played games. And so this couple reached out to uh, me and my wife, and this couple reached out to another couple. And um, the other couple and us, we rode together to the couple's house that was having the get-together. And so we get in my car, my, my wife's car. I'm driving. It's my wife's car. And these two are sitting in uh, the back seat with us. Uh, I shouldn't say back with us, but in the back seat of the car with us traveling to the other person's home. We brought drinks. We brought um, some adult beverages. And the folks holding the party uh, also made an announcement that they were going to have drinks available at their house for us to partake in. This other couple, um, sorry about that. This other couple uh, forgot to grab drinks. And this is, as I try to explain this, my fear is that my friends listen to uh, the podcast that I do. And so I need to stop here and just say, there was nothing negative about it. Like we all, we all forget things and we all do things and um, we sometimes make mistakes and mistakes aren't bad. So there was nothing negative. I, I wasn't inside my head with anything negative. And in fact, I just thought like, it's like it, to the like absolute level, it just is no big deal. But I didn't know they had forgot drinks. They announced it like, oh goodness, did you guys bring drinks? And we're like, yeah, we've got some things. And they're like, man, we forgot. And uh, in my head, I go, well, we've got drinks. I'm making the calculation. We've got drinks and we probably have enough for more than two people, probably three or four people. And the folks home that we're going to, they've got drinks. They're surely, because they've said it, they're, they surely have enough for more than just them. So I don't think it's any kind of issue, but I want to make sure because I care about these two people, I want to make sure that it is safe that if they think it's important to stop at the store and get some, that I um, acknowledge that it is safe for us to stop at the store and get some. And um, so the, the question in this moment is, do we stop and get drinks or don't we? And when you, you've been in these moments a thousand times, and I hope I explain it right, because I think it's interesting when you see it. And by the way, the secret to all of these things when you're working on being a better human being, the secret really is getting below the um, outward thing that's happening in terms of words used and the signals we give in body language to accomplish it and to dive a layer deeper and sometimes even two or three layers deeper and begin to understand like what's really going on here. What is, what is really happening? What are people feeling? And, um, and again, you can't exactly know that, but you, 
if you're a good, healthy human being, you can lean into intuition about other people being harmed or uncomfortable in situations and trying to relieve that because our job is to reduce suffering in the world. So uh, we the question is, do we stop to get drinks or do we continue on knowing that uh, the drinks that are available are sufficient? And in this moment, both sides are trying to make it safe to do either, but without a person imposing that they have a need um, it makes it so that this is kind of stuck in this uh, liminal space where we're really kind of stuck. Like, do we go? Do we not go? Do we stop? Do we not stop? Do we just proceed? Do we not proceed? And it's the it's the most innocent of situations. Nobody's feelings are hurt. Nobody's feeling bad. We're just trying to figure out what the other couple wants. And so both sides fear the other side's uh interpretation of what is at stake or isn't at stake or what's going on and coming off is feel. And also I'm fearful that I'm going to come off feeling perturbed and, and they're fearful that they're going to come off uh, feeling um, that they want something to happen and they're hoping that I catch on, but that I don't pick up on the signals and like, like there's all this dance going on. I feared that they wouldn't want to be a bother and ask us to make a stop, but that they really did want to stop and get a drink to get some drinks to take over to this house. And um, I also feared that they would be hesitant to suggest their needs, fearing that we would be late, right? So if we stop at the store, we're going to be late and they have to worry in their head that I'm going to be bothered by that. Uh, I feared that they wouldn't want to be a bother and ask us to make a stop, which would in turn have us being possibly late. But my actual thought process was that it it didn't matter. Um, and I'm saying this wrong. I've got some of this written down because I wanted to make sure I said it right. Um, I feared that they wouldn't want to be a bother. That's, and that's true. I feared that they wouldn't want to ask us to make a stop, which would in turn have us possibly being late. But my actual thought process was it didn't matter to me. I really didn't care. I was 100% okay stopping at the store and wanting to truly support these people who I like. They're my friends. I like them. And to support what they most needed in order to not feel discomfort and to have the best experience possible that night. Now, they likely feared, though I couldn't know for sure because you can't know the thoughts of another human being unless they state their thoughts and unless you trust their thoughts that they share with you. Um, so we all play this dance. They likely feared inconveniencing me, and they likely didn't have a strong desire to go to the store and were actually content simply proceeding to our destination. But in that moment where I don't know what they need and they don't know what I need, and we both know that something's being stated, which makes that, you know, kind of undiscernible, the fact that we needed, that they announced that they forgot drinks, um, now makes it so that they're in a conversation and we're in a conversation where we're both trying to feel out what the other person needs and doesn't need. Uh, but because we fear shame, hurting the other person 
And because we struggle to know in these moments, if we cause the other person pain, we do this dance, which almost always is unclear and only gets muddled further as we try to talk about it or address it. Like, hey, if you want to go to the store, like we can stop. And the other person's like, yeah, but are they saying that because they really are okay with that? Or are they saying that because that's what, you know, the right thing is to say, but they would really prefer to go on. And if they would really prefer to go on, I'd prefer to go on. And if they want to stop, like, let's stop. If they think we should have, like, all the things happen. And so in this conversation, what, what I do now is I try to just say what it is that both sides are doing. And so while we're in the car and we're having this like 10 second, like, hey, here's here's what happened. What do we do? I simply said, hey, I, I know that in this moment, both of us worry about disrupting the other person. And I just want you to know that I'm perfectly okay either way. I just want you to know if I really wanted to do this or that, I would say so. And I really have no care. My main care is that I want you guys to have a good time tonight. And I want you guys to feel safe asking for your needs to be met. And so whatever it is you guys want to do, like we'll do that and we're totally good. Promise. And when you explain it that way, it does take a moment. But what you do is you you end uh, the dance. If people trust you to tell the truth... And you show up in moments and you tell the truth, both explaining the dance that's going on and making it clear what your actual wishes are. And you can do this all kinds of ways. Maybe you really do want something. Maybe you really don't want to go to the store and you really want to proceed. So you can say that. You can say, hey, I can see we're doing this dance where you're worried about what my needs are and I'm worried about what your needs are. Let me just say, my needs are that I really don't like being late. And I'd like to get there on time, but I also want to respect your needs. And if you feel a need that you need to stop and get something like, I want to honor that because you're friends and I love you and I care about you. And I don't want to make anything difficult on you. Now you may end up, if you keep doing that and your constant thing is I want to not be late. I don't ever want to inconvenience myself for other people. Then again, you're going to find yourself not being the human that everybody wants around. But you do get to pick the moments where it really is important to you. And over the course of a relationship, if you if you make it safe for other people to push for the things that are really important to them, and you make it safe for you to say, honestly, like in this moment, this is really important to me, but acknowledge that there is a dance and that both sides are trying to figure out what the other side wants and needs and what the other side perceives about them. And I'm just... Again, this is not easy stuff, um, but the more that you can kind of be aware of it and speak to it, especially in the instances where it doesn't matter to you, um, you should be able to state your needs, but there's so many times where it just isn't important. And it would be so nice if you could just let people know like, hey, this isn't important. So you don't need to stress. Like, don't worry about it. Don't stress. Um, I really care about you. And I want to make this night as, uh, as beneficial and as pleasant to you as possible. I don't need uh, the night to look a certain way. So please ask for what your needs are. And what almost assuredly is happening is the other side doesn't care either. 
The other side doesn't care either. They're more worried about whether they hurt your feelings. They're more worried about whether you're judging them. They're more worried about whether you think they need to stop at the store and whether you're believing them when they say they don't. So by announcing the dance, you, you can avoid some of the guesswork that is happening in the dance. Um, and so essentially, I, I just want to conclude saying like, it's pain and shame. And almost every time we bump into each other, one of us is feeling shame or guilt, and the other is feeling uh, hurt and pain or trauma. And the, the more responsible we can be to what people are feeling inside, and the more we can take out the guesswork so they don't have to worry about what we're feeling inside, the more healthy uh, and responsible our interactions will be with each other. Thank you very much. Hope you're enjoying the Almost Awakened podcast. Go to almostawakened.org. And if you don't mind, click the donate button. Send us three bucks a month. And we will keep having conversations, me and Britt, sometimes us by ourselves, sometimes with a third party or more to discuss important topics. Um, But I am greatly appreciative of each of you who tune in. And I hope that you find conversations like this helpful because I really do every day I wake up now and I really want to help people to be better human beings with each other. And I'm not perfect at it, but it is these kinds of thought processes that help me to show up better in the next moment than I did in the last one. And so have a great day and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.